Welcome back. Welcome back, Bounce Back Nation. This is your girl, Deanna J. Speaks. Um, so excited for this episode. This is our first Flipping the Script episode. And you know, we talk about all things life and resilience. And, you know, there are so many things that intersect with life. There are so many things that intersect with resilience. And I pride myself on bringing people that can speak to those intersections. But today we're doing something a little different. It'll be our first time doing this show this way. And so what we're doing is we have an amazing guest that's already been on who has agreed to turn the table. She's agreed to flip the script on me. And so she's going to interview me today. And so I'm so excited to welcome back Ruth Ann Thompson. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm so glad to be here. Good. Listen, I'm excited. Thank you so, 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 so much um, for for being back. And with that, I'm going to turn this over to you. And this is now your show. (laughs) Welcome, Bounce Back Nation. (laughs) I know I'm not doing it anyways like you would do it, but I, I am just so honored because Deanna is clearly one of my heroes. I call her my Shiro. And, and I don't mean that Deanna, um, you know, I don't take that lightly. I, uh, there's not a lot of people that I consider to be my hero, but I just remember from when I first saw you, the light that came from you was uh, something that lit up my heart. And so, um, oh, thank you for being you. (laughs) Um, My maiden name is also Joan. So I feel like, you know, we've got a little kindred spirit there. But a little something, something on that. Yeah, who knows? Um, (laughs) But for those of you, you know, Deanna's been been doing this. We're in our third season now, which is so exciting. Um, But I do want to take a moment before I start asking questions and just read a little bit of Deanna's bio. You know, when she gets on and she talks, um, I'm, I'm always sitting there saying, but you're so amazing. We're just getting snippets and pieces. So (laughs) I want your listeners to know a little bit of your bio before I begin to ask you questions. Is that all right? Sure. Yeah, you got it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Deanna Jones is a former foster child and teen mother of two. She's a a self-proclaimed mompreneur, which I love it. A mom who's an entrepreneur, (laughs) mompreneur. I love words that, you know, um, like you make them up, but they make sense. (laughs) She is a speaker. I want you to know she is an international selling author. She is a trainer and a consultant. Um, Deanna is an advocate and a speaker and a trainer. She's from Columbus, Ohio. She elevates, equips those um, whom she speaks to. Um, Her journey encompasses lessons that she learned Um, that she has used now to empower the crowds that she speaks to. Deanna received messages from various sources as a child that taught her early on that her voice meant nothing. (laughs) They should look at you now. Mm, Um, 
Come on now. Uh, having been overlooked and written off as another statistical failure, Deanna Jones realized that something had to change. And right then she began to take charge and advocate for herself to ensure that her voice would now be heard. From then on, she cultivated that voice to be, um, I'm sorry, from then on, she cultivated that voice, and um, despite having to quit high school, let me tell you, Bounce Back Nation, she went on to get her GED, um, and then she graduated from the Ohio State University with a yes. Bachelor's of Science in Social Work. Come on, Deanna. Come on, and then quickly obtained her LSW and went to work for um, an agency that she was emancipated from. Talk about full circle. Yeah, literally. And then, yeah, went back to work for the very agency from which she was emancipated. Somebody ought to be shouting right now. <laughs> and then after obtaining her master's um, in public policy and administration, she left that agency. Come on now, what did Mompreneur do? She opened a small business and began speaking and training full time. As a foster care alum, Deanna continues to use her voice to advocate for youth, partnering to bring Ohio's, Ohio's first youth ombudsman. Deanna helped shape um, those who shape the future of our foster youth and teen parents, as well as the youth themselves. Um, knowing that you have to get to a destination is one thing, but knowing how to get there is quite another. And so, ladies and gentlemen, it is my joy and honor to present to you again, Miss <laughs> Deanna Jones. Welcome to I your know. own show. <laughs> I know. Thank you. It's such a humbling space to be on this side of the interview. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to just enter your space. And That's I cool. want your listeners to know that one of the questions I asked off air was what, you know, what, um, what subject should I stay away from? Mm -hmm. And Deanna said, nothing, ask me anything you want. And that mm -hmm. right there liberated me. Cause I have to admit, I'm a little nervous mm -hmm. about, um, interviewing the interviewer. <laughs> and so you have given me liberty to ask yes. some questions. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about something that you said right before we got on air. And then I'm going to start with my questions because okay. I think that's interesting and people need to know okay. you were saying that you started to feel some kind of way just before this interview. Will yes. you share that with your listeners? Sure. I was sitting on my couch and watching, what was I even watching? Like the first four, after the first 48. And I'm like, okay, let me get my son together. Got to get this show. And out of nowhere, I felt this overwhelming sense of anxiety. So I don't know if you're finding this show after my first episodes or not, but I've talked about it a little bit in brevity in that I have anxiety and I've had to overcome depression. And so from time to time, 
I will find myself facing anxiety. And what came to mind for me is I had to step back and say, now, why am I anxious? Because mm. I, don't, I don't have anything conscientiously to be anxious about. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was just like, I tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to choose to stand in that thing. We're not going to choose to wow. stay anxious. You know, there's obviously a purpose and a reason for this show, even if it's to encourage or uplift someone. And that's enough for me to go ahead and walk, walk in that. And so I chose to not you know, stay in that anxious place. And I named it, you know, to Ruth Ann so that I can let it go. So that's what we were talking about. Yeah. Right. So what you did was you felt the fear and did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I, I mean, because I think so many people feel the fear and let that feeling stop them from moving forward. Oh, I can see that. And, that yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you never get to the other side because you get right there and you feel that fear and you stop. So mm-hmm. somebody needs to know you're going to feel the fear. Yes. But do it anyway. Do it anyway. Yeah. The thing is, is that that feeling is fleeting. That right. feeling is fleeting. It's going to it's going to move. That anxiety is going to move. But what I find is that when people respond to it and they can't do it anyway, it's because they've they they've not only gave space to it, but they assigned value to it. So it's like mm. if you're supposed to be doing this, I wouldn't be anxious. So I'm not gonna do it. Or if this is what God had for me, I wouldn't be nervous. And it's like that's not true. You still you could be anointed to to, to give a message that doesn't increase your anointing or ability or capacity to walk it out. That's right. That's yeah. good. That's good. So I want you to do something for me, uh, a few things um, in this episode. Sure. I want you to do a little time travel with me. Okay. I want you to travel back and this is not to cause you any pain Mm-hmm. This is to help your listeners um, to understand some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to travel back to the very first day you went into foster care. Okay. And I want you to talk about, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I, I was born into foster care, born Mm -hmm. as a ward of the state of Michigan. So obviously I don't remember um, that, but I want you to, I want you to help me taste it, smell it, feel it, touch it, Mm -hmm. uh, what it felt like as a child. I don't know how old you were and going like say the first night in foster care, just share that with us if you don't mind. Sure. The first night I went into foster care, it was, it was a, it was a day mm-hmm. and my brother had, um, died. He was a baby and he died of SIDS. Mm. And, you know, my mom had a complete breakdown and I, I can still remember her screams. I can still remember the disconnection that she had from reality, seeing her relatively new baby motionless mm. in, her, in her crib. And the police came 
you know, because you call the police, you call 911. And I remember everyone coming in, all of the uniforms, all of the people. And we just got, I remember us being moved to the side. And so when they came in, the, the first smell I remember is sterility. Like they, you can smell their instruments and their gloves, mm -hmm. and, you know. And I heard them and I heard them trying and I heard them and then it was still. Mm. And then it was suddenly very loud and my mom was yelling again. Mm -hmm. And then I remember my dad coming in around the corner and he, I remember my mom crying and wailing and he kept trying to go back in there to her. And then I remember the police or someone, I can't even remember if it was a caseworker at that point, coming in and taking us out of our house. And um, I remember driving away or before we drove away, my dad looked at me, you know, and I knew something was going down. I knew I was getting right. leaving, but I was trying to check and see like, yo, mom, you coming? Dad, you coming? You know? Right. And um, my dad just looked at me and said, you know, you can't cry. You have to be strong for them. If they see you cry, oh. they're not going to be able to handle this. How many siblings? It was three of us total left. So I had two younger siblings. I think okay. I was probably around four or five. And I mm. could be, it was so long ago that I could be missing the years. Sure. Could, you know, but I do remember that. And I remember getting in this car with some cold seats. And I remember looking out the window as we drove away from my dad. And I just remember him standing. He, was, he just kind of walked fast to the street as we were leaving. But that was the only time I saw my dad in fear. My dad was six, eight. You know, by the time he died, he was like six, 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 seven. But mm -hmm. he was tall, um, you know, strong. I mean, he looked like Shaft, you know, in my mind. <laughs> yeah. And, and so to, stand, to see him standing in the middle of the street with his palms out because he didn't know what to do, um, image has stayed with me Earth. this entire time. I, I will never forget it. And um, I just remember wanting to cry and couldn't because I wanted to be strong for my dad. Yeah. And so... From there, we were separated. By the time I got to my foster home, it was night. I remember being hungry and they offered me like some, what are the English muffins? Mm -hmm. And I was told I should be grateful mm. because I didn't want to eat, but I was told I should be grateful. And then I remember my brother being taken to some room and I remember looking for him in the night. And when I found him and he was asleep, I just went back to my room and sat on my bed. And that was my first night roughly in foster care. I, uh, I did not expect for me to be over here, boo. And I had to <laughs> mute for a little bit just to get myself together. It's like uh, that. Because I feel like the children are the ones who are completely left out of this process. Mm. Like 
mm-hmm. not considered. I, you know, I, I remember talking to people who said every home I went to, you know, there was a different standard. You put the cups yeah. up in the cabinet, you put the cups down, the, mm-hmm. the spoons, the little spoon goes next to the big spoon or the, all the spoons go together. And then the forks, you know, yeah. and there were some fold their towels three way, you know, I mean, you could go yes. on and on about how different households do their things and to be treated as if, listen, you don't belong. I mean, I've heard stories, I'm sure you have too, of children coming down for Christmas morning and there being nothing for them and being told you don't get anything because you're a foster child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I didn't realize that you were that young when that happened. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It may have been six or seven, but I was really young. young. I don't remember how old I was, but I, 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 yeah. Um, and then did you only go into foster care once? Was that the same place you stayed your whole life or how yeah. did that process go? So my mom ended up getting us back and it was probably maybe seven or eight months, if I'm not mistaken. It could have been longer. It started to blur together. Um, but finally, what's what sucked is by the time that I finally was like, let me start to trust these people. Mm-hmm. Let me start to connect with them because for a while I wasn't really talking to them. I was not really engaging and then, and then you know, getting used to being in someone else's room and someone else's bed, you know what I mean? And by the time I connected back, you know, made a connection with them, it was time to go home and there mm-hmm. was no preparation or consideration for that. And so then we went home and had to get back used to being at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't really anything like prepping us but once we were home we were home and then we were trying to you know reintegrate ourselves into it's a home and so the thing is it's like it's your house so you wouldn't think you would have to reintegrate because you know it's your home but it's it's it it, you do still um even my daughter that moved out she came back home and she's like oh my gosh it's i I, when she only lived moved out a couple months and already it doesn't feel like her house right so um, then, you know, we were, went back home and life kept life in. And mm. um, by the time we went into foster care the last time, that's when I stayed in. Mm-hmm. And so we stayed in because um, I was, you know, my mom was in prison at this time. I think I was like 15 or 16. No, I was 16. And my dad was like, yo, I'm going to work. And then on the weekends, I'm going to deal cards, but I need you to hold the house down. You know, by this time I'm used to, this is my role. Like, this is just what I do. Like I hold the family down. I'm the oldest. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but I couldn't go to school and I needed help to get to school. All I wanted to do was go to school. Mm -hmm. And um, my brother and sister started skipping like, well, she ain't going, I ain't going. (laughs) <laughs> and who gonna make me dad ain't here you know what I'm saying right. and so finally you know they we were had that on the horizon and then I started calling around the organizations to say to get some help and the organization I called was directions for youth and families and um so they were coming out and they were connecting and sometimes they would buy me food they would help me study for my GED and then she said one day you know I've never met your dad I'm like, yeah, he works all the time. It's cool. She's like, but if he works all the time, who's taking care of you? 
I'm like, well, mm-hmm. no, I don't know nobody. I don't need nobody to take care of me. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, basically, I was looking at her like, why are you tripping? You know, right. <laughs> like, what you want? <laughs> and so she said, if I come out one more time and I don't see him or meet him, I got to call the people. Oh. And so I told my dad, and he's like, I'm not worried about that. I take care of y'all. They have no reason to take y'all. They have no reason to anything. So, of course, she came out. My dad wasn't there. And I, he knew that she was coming, but he had something to do. And he left. And so she came out. She didn't see him. She called the people. And so the, the caseworker kept coming out. She said the same thing. Next time I come out, when I don't see him, I'm going to take y'all. Mm. And sure enough, and it was, I promise it was a Sunday. I don't know if my sister and brother would tell me I'm wrong about that, but I feel like it was a Sunday <laughs> in the afternoon. It was a freaking beautiful day. And mm-hmm. I see her go by in the ugly powder blue vans that we still use in this county to this day. I'm like, bro, can mm-hmm. we please get something gray? Something right. Gray. Like, why do right. we get any powder blue vans? Right. Get some nice tan or something. I'm saying, <laughs> like, come on, awesome. Come on, y'all, do better. But so, um, and she came up to me and she's like, is your dad home? And I said, no. And she said, all right. Basically, like, you know what it is. And so she gave me a trash bag and I put me and two kids clothes worth of stuff in there. And, you know, it, it was just this probably one of the saddest times in my life because when you have one trash bag, because we could pause to talk about the fact that I was putting my future in the trash bag and my speeches, I emphasize that really hard yes but how much stuff could I really even fit in there I don't have any pictures I didn't have birth certificates I didn't have anything I have one picture from that time in my life and Mm. I cherish it and it's the hospital picture when my son was born and it got damaged over the years from me moving around so the back of it is gone so to see him I have to put the picture on my hand to make Mm. it so that I can see him but so we're standing in the kitchen and, you know, my brother and I are like, you know, we could kill her. So we don't right. have to there. Yeah, we just take her out. We just yeah. take her out. We ain't going to worry about it. Like, okay, well, we would do this and we would do that. Like, okay. And my son walks in, you know, because he's a little baby at this point. And I'm like, oh, let's just go, y'all. And so we go. And it never occurred to me again that they would separate us, but they did. And my sister and I disagree about this, but I thought that he was there initially and then he got separated from us. My sister don't remember him being there, but I I stand on that part. And then he was taken out because he kept, he was arguing and not getting along with the foster mom. And, you know, she wouldn't let us sit on the furniture, you know. We had to eat certain food because we were foster kids. You know, she made it very clear to me, y'all, I don't get paid enough for y'all to eat what I eat. Like, mind you, man, this is great value. Mm. You know, I need you to chill. Okay. <laughs> I need you to chill. Okay. You're great value. Oh, great, great value. Like, it's, it's instant oatmeal, player. What you doing? Right. Right. And so, um, oh, wait, no. So the first time I came in, no, yeah, that was it. That was it. No, 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 wait. So the first time I came in, I came to a, a home with an old lady. Mm. And her adult son lived in the basement and he terrorized us, but we dealt with it because we knew if anything popped off, he was getting jumped. And we were just mm-hmm. going to do him in and whatever happened, it was between us and God. <laughs> and <laughs> just being real. 
And, I love the plan. Yeah, like this is always got to have a plan. Yeah, we we got to have a plan. And so we then we kind of start to live our lives, and and then one day, you know, as the the grandparent or the foster parent, but she was a grandparent, but she because she was old, she left. Mm-hmm. She kept leaving me in charge of the kids that was there. Oh come on now! And so I'm telling the caseworker like, you could have left me at the crib for this. <laughs> Right, you could let me just watching my own kids. No, right. like, now I, I now have my kids and my siblings, and then these four people. Like, mm-hmm. and they would listen to me because they like, who are you? So why'd you take me? So then the caseworker came, and she was like, you know what? Uh, uh-uh, you're moving this day. So we got moved again, and that's when mm-hmm. we went to the home where we couldn't sit on the furniture or eat, or eat her great value oatmeal like sis. Girl, that's a whole conversation. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> like you being stingy over this. No, these tortillas is as old as my son, but it's fine because I know they're yours. So we'll just okay. <laughs> All right. And so I mean, we, we can laugh about it now, but yeah. that that sounds horrific. It is very horrific. It is very yes. horrific. and that's how that's how it was. And I had. And in the meantime, I had been calling. And when I got to that new place, I was really calling because um, I needed to get out of there. Because right. I was like, I I was trained and taught you respect your elders, you you know, but she was getting ready to get it. Now, the second foster mom with, you know, with her, you know, her couches and her food stuff, she was just so condescending. She would yeah. take her and her granddaughter who lived with us out to eat and shopping and we had to stay home. Again, if I'm not allowed to be by myself, why am I always by myself? And right. she was so mean to us, but my saving grace was the foster care worker for the house, I believe, was a ram in the bush. Mm. Come because, on, Jesus, and work it out. Yes, because she would come in and she, you know, we would be calling her on Sunday at church. Like, look, I know it's 1242, but if you don't come get Miss Frankie, she getting ready to be missing. Like, you better come get her. So goofy, like we're telling all our whole plans and our whole thing. And so, you know, she would come and take us to Cedar Point. She would take us to her house and everything, and it made it okay. And I was also working with Huckleberry House to get in their independent living program. Mm-hmm. And so I had been doing that this entire time. And I was calling and calling and calling. And finally, they was like, all right, we got an appointment. We got an apartment for you. And she so kept calling. They were like, we got to give her yeah, like, you got to get that can't and she ain't, she ain't letting up. Like you got, you right. Okay. You got to have something for me. And so, um, so then, um, so as we're getting ready to leave and everything, or as I'm getting ready to leave, I'm starting to, you know, I felt like the foster mom was kind of salty. And so one day she's mm-hmm. arguing and we're arguing back and forth because my son had peed out this diaper. As soon as I put it on, he peed. And I said, I don't care how much you get paid. We we're, we, we have enough that you should be buying us better diapers. Right. You know, in our community, you don't talk to grown folks about their money, about right. money, money, much less their money. Mm-hmm. And so she was arguing with me and she told her daughter, her daughter was like, well, I don't work for the system. I'll do this and do that. And I'm like, I'm like okay whatever and I'm yelling and I end up calling Miss Faith who that was her name and mm-hmm. we kind of got it expedited but I what what why that stands out for me is because that is the same situation Micaiah Bryant was in where some people yeah. who didn't live in the home were able to yes. come here and make threats make me feel unsafe yes because as they point out you know I don't work for them or not you know mm-hmm. I don't interest in them 
And so I'm grateful because I don't know how that would have went for any of us, my kids or my my sister. And so then I came back to Columbus and that was a whole other thing because I was technically Mm -hmm. still in care, but I was in my own place. And so now all three of us were in different places and we were separated. Mm. Yeah. And so the, the title of this, this episode is flip the script. So talking about flipping the script. So you, you get your degree and you go back and work for the very system that had pulled you away from your home when, Mm -hmm. even when you were a little girl. Mm -hmm. So were you the person who went to get the children or were you, did you, you had to do that now? Yes. Yes. So how, how does that affect your job? Because I feel like I would be saying, all oh, y'all coming home with me and I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, how yeah. do you objectively, and I guess you could speak freely now since you're not there. Oh, anymore. yeah. yeah. I, what was that like for you? Did you, is that what called you back to that is because of your experiences? And, and what was that like for you? Well, what called me back to it was the money because I had two kids, we're in college and, you know, children's services had the best, um, healthcare time. And Mm so I went there, didn't want to go there. Like in in school, they're like, what's one place you don't want to work? I'm like, frankly, Johnny, children's services. And sure (laughs) enough, that's where I ended up for 11 years. Um, but it was hard. It was hard. When I first got there, my supervisor pulled me aside and she said, look, um, you act like you want to take everything to the street. Like, you know, you're kind of (laughs) rough. Like, why are you, you know? And I'm like, you know, I ain't trying to take everything to the street, but I'm a fight for these families. Right. Period. Like if they don't get to the end. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like as I was listening to your story and forgive me for cutting you off a little bit, but I feel like when you were home and 15 and going through all that, what you needed was resources, right. not necessarily to be snatched from your home. Right. And so, um, and even, even when your mom was going through, I mean, the, the, you know, that what you described when you were younger and had mm-hmm. just lost a, a, you know, a fourth, right. si- you know, your fourth sibling had died of SIDS. Mm-hmm. I feel like what your family needed was somebody to understand grief is horrid. I mean, I've yeah. lost a son. He yeah. wasn't a baby, but he was my baby. And, right. and, and what you need at that time is not to be pulled apart, but somebody that's going to band you all closer together. Mm-hmm. So I can see you with the red <laughs> boxing gloves on saying, yeah, we're going to take it to the street because right. I want to fight to give these families a fighting chance. Yeah. So I apologize. I just interjected there, but no, but don't apologize. Cause I mean, that's what a good host does. They got to come in. So oh, you're doing great. Yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> But you're right. And, and 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 somebody had to do it. And it's not, I don't even want to even appear that like I am like a savior or anything like that, or that was there was no one else, you know, fighting with the same gusto and stuff like that. But I know that the the cases that I could touch, mm-hmm. you it, it was it was it was gonna be a fight. And 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 but I went that hard also with the families too. And I think that that's what made it work for me when I was with my families because 
they knew that I was coming from a very similar place. So if I'm telling you, if this is what you need, God's very explicit. If this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And the, mm-hmm. and the clock starts ticking. And I was very clear about when I heard that, that you automatically are up for the termination of parental rights when your kids are in care 12 out of 22 months. I think it's 15, yes. but Ohio does 12, I think. Right, right. Um, let's We're going to know that on day three. Like, yeah, I can write yeah. this case plan and everything, but I need you to understand that this is what's going to happen. And sometimes the parents got on it and sometimes they didn't. But I know that I went, you know, just all in to make sure that they understood and they were advocated for. So, but to answer your question too, there were plenty of kids that I wanted to bring home. There were moms that Mm. I wanted to help. There were sisters that I wanted to be a sister to. And at times I did even for other people's cases. But I I started to learn that if you pour out Mm. every case, every person, every time, you're not going to make it. Yeah. And so I had to start to be more strategic with that. And that helped me a little bit. That's good. Mm. I want you to dispel the myths that um, are surrounded by... Um, those in foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, I, for example, you know, there's someone that I know, she's a member of our church. And for as long as I can remember, she has had foster children. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to cringe when someone would say, oh, those are just her foster kids. Yes. Yeah. Or if something happened, anything was broken or, or any, any mishap, or you go in the gym and it's a wreck, the foster kids were the ones who, it was probably them foster kids is what I heard time and again. Mm -hmm. Um, I want you to dispel some of the myths, um, that people tend to, um, equate with those who are in foster care. I mean, I think the biggest myth is that, you know, we we are the problem. Mm. I feel so many times that you hear foster kids and they're referred to as a burden. And mm-hmm. I completely understand taking care of a whole other person has its own challenges, but it's something that you signed up for. Right. Even if it's just to get the money. So let's not act like <laughs> we are that burdensome or we're that much of a problem that you can't, you know, navigate or you, that has to be pointed out. I think too, a lot of times, another myth I can think of is that um, we should be happy or we should be grateful. And uh-huh. I'm starting to hear people kind of unpack that. Uh, or just kind of push back on that narrative. But no, we, sh- we, we didn't ask to be here either. <laughs> of all the people that knew we were here and asked for us to be here, most of the time, the children are not consulted. We are put right. in a place because of our parents' actions or situations affecting our parents. And then we're told to be all right with it and to walk it out. So, th- so that that is something that if you're caring for someone else, like let's, let's dispel that. Let's, let's just, let's do away with foster kids should be grateful. And then as a parent, 
one of the things that would drive me crazy is for my kids to act ungrateful. Mm, yes. I can't stand it. Like, but honey, you don't know how good you have you it. You don't know. Okay. I just yeah, my, look, yeah, my lights are off, but we're going <laughs> to eat my candlelight. And you right. don't know how grateful you, how good you have it. Steal. Okay. Steal. <laughs> And so, but the, the, the difference is they are at home with their family. My son running around here with his Nintendo Switch and my old cell phone alternating because it's spring break, playing <laughs> games and watching YouTube. And I told him to pick up some clothes to put in his basket so that I can wash for him. He said, mom, some of these are your clothes too. Excuse me? Mm. Oh, we had an immediate conversation. But that to me is when the grateful conversation to the occur. But I'm right. showing up at your house at seven o'clock at night. It's a barbecue going on. Don't nobody come talk to us. We're sitting in a room, the three of us together in there with all these other kids who are just staring at us. And you mm. telling me that I should be grateful? Mm. Not even the same. Not even the same. Not at all. Not and then at all. if I had to do one more myth, it would really just be that... Um, you know, oh, foster kids are resilient. And it's used to be dismissive. And it's like, we're resilient because we are enduring a lot and we're fighting through it. But it doesn't mean that is a reason for you to dismiss the pain, the frustration, the confusion, the anger or anything like that. Um, and that's why I really love bringing youth voice into anything I do. Because sometimes a mood going back home isn't good either. But if you're not mm -hmm. listening to that youth, you don't know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What yeah. they need. They live in this situation. They can speak to it. And oh, right. that's why the last myth that, oh, they're not old enough to speak mm. to this. There is, it's not age appropriate for them to attend this meeting. No, ma'am. No, yeah. sir. Any meaning about that youth that you should be present and should speak freely. And um, just knowing that if you have any sphere of influence, if you could be a champion for that, I would forever and eternally be grateful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've always said, you know, okay, I have a, I have a son with autism who is an adult. Um, I know people who have had parents, you know, that have Alzheimer's or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and these, these, um, these different um, agencies or whatever, these different groups mm -hmm. that advocate for them. And, you know, they get the ribbons and the bows and the marches and the, all that is because someone loves them. Mm -hmm. um, what I find is that um, a lot of times our, our foster children their parents are unable for whatever reason to be their advocate. And so therefore they don't have anyone fighting mm. for them and they yeah. become nobody's child. Mm. And so when you don't have anybody advocating for you, then you don't get the ribbons and the marches and the days and the awareness and all those kinds of things. That's so it. I love the fact that that one of the things that you do um, is, is advocate. Mm. But I also like the fact that you train. And I want you to share a little bit because Ooh. I've always marveled at this. You, did, you do trainings to help um, foster 
parents of different ethnicities learn how to do their foster child's hair? Yes. Can you talk about that for a little bit? How sure. kind of how that started and and how effective it has been through the years? Sure. So the hair care, the class that I teach is called um, Textured, and, and it's mm-hmm. called the Culture and Care. The subtitle is the Culture and Care of African-American Hair. Mm-hmm. And so it started because when I was a caseworker many, many, many moons ago, <laughs> uh, my first unit was so bomb. I mean, we were so, we, was our, we were a powerhouse for, for the agency and the families. But so one of my coworkers brought their kid in and she came back and she's looking through her overhead and she's looking and she's like, anybody got to come? And so we're going through getting, you know, had little things of jail and stuff. Cause you know, as mm-hmm. a sister, we gonna have a little touch up, a little something, a little situation. Oh, you always got to go to court or yeah. And yeah. so, you know, where I'm like, what's going on? Like this foster mom brought these kids in here and this mom should not have to see her kids hair like that. And we go out to the lobby and kids hair just busted. And it was because <laughs> the parent didn't know the foster parent right. did not know how to mm-hmm. care for our hair. And she, I wash it every day. That's the problem. You can't oh. do that. And so, you know, we kind of just fail. got it together. Yeah. And so we kind of got it together and made it presentable. And mom noticed when she came in, she was like, oh, their hair looks so good this week. Thank you. I see you're getting better. Talking to the foster mom. And we kind of just stepped out the room and foster mom was humble enough to say, you know what? No, they're helping me and they're teaching me and I appreciate it. Oh, and good. yeah, and we, I mm-hmm. kept seeing that. I kept seeing it. And then when I would, you know, go to even teenagers, I would see they don't have stuff for their hair. And so when I would visit them, I'm like, why does your hair look like that? Mm-hmm. You know, and only because I'm a black mama, I mm-hmm. know your hair do not need you. Because if you don't know how to take care of your hair, we're getting ready to have a lesson right now. Because you're not right. going to run around here looking like that. Right. And um, even a boy, you can brush that. Where the oil? Yeah. What, what do you right. need? And so they would start asking me, they were asking me, hey, can you bring me this? Or can you do this? So they don't have anything for my hair here. And so the advocacy for that began there. And so as I ate, as I left the agency, one of my foster parents reached out, reached out. My foster parents, former foster parents reach out to me often, but she reached out to me and said, can you tell me how to do this kid's hair? Cause I've asked mm-hmm. her caseworker, her caseworker don't care. And, you know, mm-hmm. we had entered a place at the agency I worked at where you really, they wanted to start getting permission before you did anything to the children's hair. And I mm-hmm. said, well, they don't, you know, if you do a ponytail or something, they're not getting ready to trip on you. You know what I mean? You can throw it back in the ponytail. She's like, but the ponytails never look good. And so I'm like, this is still an yeah. issue. And sure. so I created that training and now I train it. It's been very effective. It's one of, of the um, highest rated, I mean, highest, highly requested trainings that I do. Uh, and even for the Ohio Child Welfare Program, I no longer do it for them um, just because it was, it, they're really underpaying. Mm-hmm. Really right. and traveling you, by the time I travel to Cuyahoga yeah. do this training travel back it's not even worth doing it mm-hmm. um and I'm I'm certainly not in it for the money but I, I can't well but you can't take I a loss yeah I can't take a loss break your hair yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. so I want to ask you you've heard I know you've um heard of the book um Alexander and the terrible horrible very 
uh, no good, very bad day. <laughs> yes, yes, that was so, one of my sister's favorite. So what does Deanna do when she's having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? Um, when I tell what, you, what I motivates you? <laughs> I love that question, and I love that you read the whole title. I was, I was sitting over here cheesing, y'all don't even know. Um, what do I do? I, it depends on the day. If I had to try to draw generality, the first thing I do is try to ground myself. What, what is the number one emotion that's driving me? You know, cause anxiety I've learned is a overgeneralization to my feelings. What is it? Do I feel like I need to feel safe? Mm-hmm. Do I need to feel like I need to feel heard? Do I have a need that's unmet? So I try to figure out what is really driving me mm-hmm. in this horrible, no good, very bad day. Like I, <laughs> I can't even do the whole title because I don't, I don't know it. But that's so dope. Uh, so the first thing I do is try to figure out what is driving my that that feeling. And I then, for me, I'm not. I, I always say this on my show that I'm not a strong I'm not a Christian in the traditional sense in that you know because it that that word now has come to mean so much mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It, it's almost such a negative it's, connotation to it's it. such a negative connotation to it so mm-hmm. I'm a believer and I will really like Lord I'm going to give this to you I, I'm going to lay this at the foot of the cross because I wasn't meant to carry it mm-hmm. and so I will lay that down and then I will see what can I do in my strength or what can I let go of in my strength? Because sometimes the action that we take, we feel like we got to do something. We got to make something happen. And sometimes that's not the action. Sometimes the action is sitting still. Yes. You know? And so, you know, and so then I am a big believer in affirmations. I'm a big believer in speaking the Bible into my situation, even if you're not a Bible believer, because I know there are my, there are some listeners that told me personally that they are not believers in the Bible, understandably so, but you can still speak life into your situation. There are still power in your words. And so even sometimes- Give me some examples. Sure. So if I am anxious over an outcome, I will affirm myself in saying that- my best is good enough. Mm. My best, like you, your best can look different, different points of the day, let alone days, right. week, let alone weeks in a month. But my best today is good enough. Correct. Right. I, if I am like, what if I'm like low on money? Cause that's life. You know, I have kids and, and businesses and it's like, Ooh, and it's like, there is an after this. So uh-huh. this, this moment right now, there's an after this. There's going to be money after this. There's going to be business after this. There's going mm-hmm. to be blessings after this. You just got to make it through this. Yes. You know? And so I envision my after. My Come after on, this. You know. uh, I will write stuff on my mirror. Um, I'm going to be selling them soon. But it says just sayings. Yes. So my pastor said, vision governs behavior. Mm. and I was like oh it sure do because you you go what you can see we don't like to go anywhere blind right see, if you look at your behavior even if it's in a thing if it's going towards a goal if it's how you're running your house or whatever it will show it will your, your behavior will tell 
what you what you see and what you believe, right? So just affirming like I'm safe. And then I engage in self-care. I'm a huge proponent of self-care. And mm-hmm. so self-care for me is as small as going to Target or sitting outside at dusk. I'm sorry, did you say Target? I, oh, I did. I meant Target. Oh, okay, okay, okay. correcting <laughs> me. There's Fabrice Bray, then there's Target. And uh, hey, oh my gosh, yes. And I'll go in there and I'll walk around even if I don't buy anything. Mm-hmm. Or I will take a long shower and sing at the top of my lungs because Spotify oh, don't, no. don't miss. Spotify mm-hmm. don't miss. My, my list is fire, y'all. Y'all should follow me. And then, um, you know, sometimes it's as simple as connecting. I'll hug my son or, you know, or I will, you know, just speak to myself. Or sometimes I listen to a podcast. I'm not saying that because I have a podcast. I will definitely plug Impact Theory. That is a, a very great podcast. There's some podcasts that are so good and they mirror what I say and do that I don't listen to them, but I still recommend them. And that mm-hmm. would probably be Sarah Roberts Jakes. Yeah. Um, she's cold. She's cold. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, what, what can I do? What can I do to feel rejuvenated? What can I do to feel equipped? That's what I count as self-care. And I hear from so many people, self-care is not getting a massage. For me, it is. <laughs> right. Right. Self-care is whatever you say it is. Yeah. It fills your cup. You decide that. And so that's what I do. Having those horrible, very bad, no good. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you read the title. I just love that. I made my whole day. Oh, goodness. Okay. So I just have a few more questions for you. Sure. Um, If you were giving advice to someone who is a teenager and is about to age out of foster care. Mm. What are some things I, I, I started to give you a number, you know, top three or top two, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to ask you, you know, they find out my birthday is in a month. And at that point, I'm no longer eligible to be in this foster home, whether the home was great or the home was not so great. I'm Mm -hmm. still about to be standing on the corner of, you know, fifth and main or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do they do? I think the very first thing that I would have them do if they were my client, if they were my friend, they're my cousin is to become resolute because rather you age out or you get into bridges or you know you reconnect with family, you have to be resolute because you are now 18. And despite the system coming in and touching your life and disrupting and bending it any way they want to, they have no account for that impact when you're 18. But you mm, have to care that. Yeah. And so you have to become resolute and what do you want for your life? Because immediately at 18, it's all on you. Mm-hmm. You may have supports, you may not, but at the end of the day, instantly, can't nobody sign for you, can't nobody make a referral for you, can't nobody make you do anything. And so your resolution, your decision Ooh. has to be made. That's the mm. number one thing. That's the first thing. 
then I would try to line up some support, even if it's community support. When I was 18, I didn't have family support, but I wasn't going to stop and cry about it because I had two kids. I was like, I'm not getting ready to be a statistic, even though my supervisor, my caseworker said that that's all I was going to be. Um, I wrote down what, what I wanted to accomplish. And to me, there's really power in writing it down, even if you lose the list, which eventually I did, but I, I saw it so much Mm -hmm. that even when I lost it, I had it with me. Come on now. So when you write down your goals for one, it's, it's a little more real. Mm -hmm. You're more accountable to yourself and you're more accountable for the actions you take and don't take. So then look at the little things that you can do to start working towards those goals and do it one at a time. It's like a ladder. You know, you know, you got to get to the top and you can try to hit rung three and rung six and then rung nine if you want to, but put a little respect on rung one. Mm, if the come first on now. step <laughs> is something small, put a little respect on it. Give it the same attention and gusto and provision and planning that you would if you was going after step six. What other things do I have to account for? Does the, does the ladder need to lean a little bit more on the house? Like, what do you need to do? What steps do you need to take? And so, mm. you know, being specific to foster care, though, make sure you have your birth certificate and your social security card, mm. right? And I have, <laughs> I have a book coming out about this. So that's why it's so fresh. Come I on now. What's you. the name of the book? The book is called Them Foster Kids or Something Else. Ooh, I can't wait to read it. <laughs> and it's really for those that service foster kids. Mm-hmm. Right. But so make sure you have your birth certificate and your social security card. Okay. Try to put them in a place that you can easily access them, but don't carry them on you. And I know a lot of foster kids do that. And I'm encouraging you not to. Also, especially if you age out in Franklin County, Ohio, they usually do like a credit check for you. So make sure that as you're getting ready to age out, if there's anything on there, like a mom, a dad, an auntie, somebody put something in your name, it's cleared up. So that when you go out here into the world, you're not already having to battle that because I've seen kids have to do that. Yeah. And then the last thing I would say is start building your own self-care toolkit. So what can Mm -hmm. you do to rejuvenate you? Because rejuvenation at 18 looks a lot different than rejuvenation at 41. Right. right? And so it's okay if it changes and evolves, but I want you to be committed to caring for you. You know, especially if you are a part of a sibling group or you have family that, you know, you survived and they feel obligated and you want to help them. Listen, that is a trap. Mm. That is a trap and it's hard to hear, especially if you come from the hood, because all you have is your family, right? And you are bred and made to know, like if anything happened with my family, I got to be there for them. And that's great. But you have to know now that your your future cannot be sacrificed for their temporary help. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. So if you're helping them and they like, hey, man, let me hold $20. You know, $20 is all you got. You have to say Mm. no. Just because you have it don't mean it's yours to give. Right. Just like I have a friend who you'll say, you know, what are you doing next Tuesday? And they'll say nothing. And you, they'll, someone <laughs> will say, great, you can help me. Mo. He's like, no, I can't. What you said you were doing nothing. It's like, and that's what I plan on that's doing. That's what I'm doing. So, yeah. 
So saying, saying, no, I don't have $20 when you have $20 in your pocket is really not being dishonest. I don't have $20 for you because $20 is all I have to get me for the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I love that. So you said be resolute, line up support, make sure you Mm -hmm. have your birth certificate and social security card, but not on you in a safe place if possible. Check your credit and start building your own self-care kit. And you know, your self-care kit could just be, I'm going to go outside and get 10 minutes of fresh air and sunshine every day. You know, like sometimes we think it has to cost a lot of money, but air and sunshine is free. If it's raining, you still get some fresh air, you know, walk out, whatever. Um, So uh, listen, I I feel like those are good, whether you're aging out or you just (laughs) living out. Look, and I... I love your statement, life be life I love that statement because that is just so true. Mm-hmm. And in this world, life always be life Yes. And you have to figure out ways um, to navigate it. Yeah. So as we wrap this up, I, um, one of your previous guests I heard on one of your other shows, it brought me to tears. Uh, when you interviewed Danita Jones, who is also not related to us, but you know, right. we call you know, them Joneses be popping. We can't help <laughs> everybody try to keep up with the Joneses. I know, right? That's where it come from. It's okay. <laughs> but I remember her, one of the things, and I was sitting at my desk just boo-hooing. She was talking about um, relationships and, and you want to have a home where, you know, your spouse or your children say, if no matter what the world has given me, I mm. just want to get home. Yeah. So, and, and I'm telling you, and then I broke out when I think of home, I think yeah. of a planet, you know, <laughs> all the way there. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask you as my last question, um, what does home look like to you? Woo. Uh, what does home look like to me? Home. Looks Ooh, I'm making like, my own self cry now. Yeah. Home now home. looks like peace. Mm. It looks like still. It looks like consideration. It looks like I choose you. It looks like you matter to me. It looks like my comfort because it's one thing to have comforting things but it's another thing to be comforted and so being able to have my comforts no matter how small they are no matter if it's insignificant I still have it that's what home looks like to me it just it looks like a beautiful symphony of all of those strings playing and cool, because I can't stand heat. Like, listen, <laughs> I need it to be cool. I don't know what I'm going to do when I hit menopause. I'm going to be running around <laughs> in my drawers because I can't take it. I cannot take it. Oh, it cool. <laughs> oh how I can relate to that, my dear. <laughs> As uh, one of your other guests said, I'm a woman of a certain age. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... 
But Deanna, you know, I don't know if you remember when we first met, um, but I walked into a Panera. Yes. And you were there with uh, some other people that we know. And I remember thinking who, no no one introduced us. I just kind of came in and sat down. And I just remember, like I said, that there was just a light about you. There was something about Deanna, I didn't even know your name at the time. Yeah, I remember um, that spoke. It's like your spirit spoke to my spirit. Mm. And um, through the years and the time that we've known each other, um, I have really grown to love you as a person. Thanks. I admire you as a businesswoman. Um, I um, I appreciate what you bring to the table and, and I'm watching you soar and I'm one of your biggest fans. I, I see you, this is not where the story ends. And and I just, I see you as someone who, you know, these, these pieces, and I know there's, there's parts of your life that feel like maybe a jigsaw puzzle, mm. but I see it all coming to, I see it framing so beautifully. And now I'm watching you fill in the middle with colors and pieces. And some seemed like they don't fit, but mm. it's all part of a masterpiece. Yeah. And I just want to thank you for what you are giving in this space, this podcast, um, this life after, because yeah. For so long, so many of us feel like all we have is what we see in front of us. Mm. And we don't even have a vision that things could be better or different um, Mm. or new or renewed. We only see what's in front of us. And so for you to to step out on faith and say, I'm going to give the world something that will encourage them along their journey and let them know that you don't know what the next step is, but when you make it, that's when the light's going to shine on it. Yeah. I applaud you for what you are doing and you honor me when you allow me to ask you some questions. I know I took you back and I apologize for any pain that this may have caused you. Um, I just know that God never wastes a hurt Mm. and your pain that you went through is there for someone else. I have a sign in my office that says you were assigned this mountain to show others that it could be moved. And that's what I leave with you today, Deanna. All the mountains in your life have been assigned to you for you to show someone else that it can be moved, it can be climbed, it can be gone around, but some kind of way you will conquer that mountain. And I, I pray God's richest blessings upon you as you move forward in your life. And I thank you for allowing me in your space today. Thank you. I'm so humbled by the words that you're saying. I pray that this, I, I come into agreement that, that this is not the end. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what my next looks like. 
I'm humbled that you even were willing to do this. And you, you know, I had this idea, but I'm like, man, I don't know who, because most people are like being interviewed, even for people to come on the show, people are like, oh, I don't know. And there'd be some powerhouses, but then it's like getting on and talking is a different space. And so when you offer to even do this, it was like, okay, God, yes, uh, yes, this is timely. And so I am, I am beyond humbled and grateful for this. Um, you're definitely welcome back. When you, when you said, can you ask me anything? I, I didn't know what to expect. So I, I don't, I, listen, you still was hitting with kid gloves. I, 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 I I'm, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm like, okay, just to be clear, but that's who, that just shows who you are. Oh, that's good. That's good. Kind, kind and considerate. And so, yeah. So listen, um, you guys let us know what you thought about this episode as we flip the script. Um, and the questions will come from my guest host. So I had no idea what she was going to ask. And I don't know what the next person is going to ask, but if you have anything that you would like us to talk about on flipping the script, feel free to let me know at Deanna J speaks at gmail.com. Um, otherwise, listen, this has been great. I pray that you are not only entertained, but encouraged around our conversation today. And we'll catch you all soon. Have a good one.